Welcome to the Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Many brownies were made and eaten in the making of this episode, which features one of my favorite guests, Rachel Bingman, who reappears this week, transformed from national security amateur to podcast co-host of the Suburban Women Problem. Rachel shares the podcast's noble goals, which includes harnessing the power of the suburban woman and mobilizing us all politically. We also discuss why so many adults let politicians prey on our fears. And we set the world straight and bake some really, I gotta say, quite magnificent cheesecake brownies. She also lets us in on an important insight into her husband, retired Lieutenant Colonel Alex Vindman. Hello, and welcome to the Secret Life of Cookies, live, sort of, I mean, we're doing this live, from my kitchen and the kitchen of Rachel Vindman, who joins me once again, not just, I must say, because I really like cooking with you. I, one day, I'd love to cook with you actually in my kitchen, but um, you not only now are the wife of the esteemed retired Colonel Alexander Vindman, that's one, you know, I hate to introduce people by their, the wife of, you know, but you are, and uh, a mother of a delightful youth. I, I suspect she's delightful, she's your child. And she um, yes, yeah, <laughs> confirmed, yeah. Can, confirmed, and um, apparently a human in your own right, you exist even without it's any a little, of these titles. little known fact, yeah, yeah. Breaking news. A suburban dweller, and now a host of a new podcast called The Suburban Women Problem, which, how can I resist that? <laughs> so so I'm a co-host, thank you. Just wanna, I have three or two other, there are three of us total, two other amazing co-hosts. And, um, and that had not happened since, when I talked to you last time, I think I had the first conversation about it the day after. And I said, oh, I was just on this great podcast yesterday and it was such a great experience. So sure, let's talk sure. about it. I'm not, so I'm not joking. Uh, it was your experience <laughs> that really piqued my interest. And then it just like took off. Well, I'm glad, we I'm, I'm glad. I, I'll say that then I really helped make this happen because while it's only been, I guess, two or three podcasts, I guess the two podcasts, right? Since yes, two. Mm -hmm. Two extraordinarily enjoyable, engrossing, intelligent podcasts. So yay. I'm so proud of myself for, you know, making you do that. Um, <laughs> you should be. I think we should probably give you some credit. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you, America. Um, but I think America will thank us more slightly. I mean, at least to be create, we're creating today some delicious food. And what you hear in the background is my bowl, a big glass bowl and my eight by eight inch pan and another bowl because today on this fine podcast, along with talking about the world, we are also gonna be making, thanks to the Vindman family request for chocolate, which makes, if anybody out there has any doubt about whether or not they like the Vindman family, <laughs> it's okay as long as it's chocolate was the request. And that makes you better people every minute that I talk to you. So chocolate well, Thanks for popular... accommodating us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it, it was, it was tough for me, but I, you know, was willing for you. We like our fruit and nuts, just probably not in baked goods. Um, 
I'll, unless it's okay that's not true uh they're fine with berries any kind of berry and mm-hmm. a baked good um but really as long as it has chocolate in it that's that's the most important thing a small sign of maturity in me and probably maybe the only one is that I can now tolerate occasional nuts in say a chocolate chip cookie or I still don't think they belong in brownies mm-hmm. I just don't I'm not a big nut person so I don't have any allergies I just don't like them that much um they, I find so. that they detract from the intense chocolate experience that I'm going for thank you mm-hmm. I don't okay see. this isn't an opinion people this is a fact <laughs> And said um, what I said. <laughs> and you could take to Twitter to discuss this further, and we'd be more than happy to entertain this. Um, there are things going on in the world, and then there's important. Um, but today we are making, and oh, I'm mixing up the dough just slightly, the batter right now, um, brownie cheesecake, or cheesecake brownies, I think, really, which is a thick ends up being a thick layer of brownie because you make them in an eight by eight inch pan with delightful dollops there you go that'll be our band the delightful dollops of cream cheese swirled around in it and because i'm a decadent human i'm adding extra chocolate chips to mine are you doing anything yes yeah a hundred percent i mean i feel like the suggestion on chocolate and garlic in any recipe is definitely not set and people should just go where your heart takes you. Yeah, it's suggest- garlic is definitely also exactly, uh, God, we could really eat well together. Um, <laughs> garlic, if, if the recipe calls for two cloves of garlic, what do you, how do you react? I generally will double it. Yeah, at least. Yeah, really. There are some times, so we have family movie pizza night every Sunday night. I mean, mm-hmm. relatively every, and I make the pizza sauce. And occasionally Alex will say, this is extra garlicky. And I'm like, yeah, and um, <laughs> what's the problem? Are you not going to kiss me? What's up? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and you're not eating it on its own. I, I'm actually, my daughter uses it as a dip, but she doesn't mind. So, uh, but you know, you're putting other things in there. So it's going to meld with the flavor, with the cheese and the crust. So as a kid, and I probably mentioned this before, but as a kid, I used to, I love garlic so much that for like lunch, this might I should probably explain to my cardiologist. Um, I used to like just melt butter and garlic in a pan and then just like, like use it as fondue for bread. Mm-hmm. Well, what could go wrong? Except uh, you know. <laughs> later on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cardiology wise. Um, it was delicious, but it wasn't margarine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and now we know that's much better. So, uh, exactly. so I was actually doing a good thing for my health. I, um, I thank you for being here and making these. And um, I will post the recipe. I've been a little lax on doing that in the past uh, past couple of weeks. So all my recipes will be going up the website. And to all you people out there um, in TV land, um, if you could please subscribe to this podcast, it would do a, a lot and um, I, for me and really the podcast. So that would be a great and nice thing to do. And at the same time, make sure that you go in and find Ms. Vinvin's podcast, which is called The Suburban Woman, Women, Suburban Women, Women. Problem. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And it's brought to us by a group called Red Wine and Blue. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit, one, about the background to the suburban women problem? And then really, what is Red Wine and Blue, as alluring as it sounds? 
Well, um, the I'll start with the suburban woman problem. Uh, oh, sorry, I'll start with red, white, and blue. Rather, sorry. So, red, white, and blue um, was started, I believe, after the 2018. I might have this all wrong because um, I I think that has totally historian in this, and I haven't been part of it for a long time. But I did. They had some Facebook lives, and I did something with them um, before the election. But you know, Lindsey Graham stated after two after the 2018 midterms that the Republican Party has a suburban women problem. And I don't agree with Lindsay on a lot of things, Senator Graham, but um, I do agree with him on that. And I think that has only widened, that, that problem has only gotten bigger. And this, this group, uh, and they were actually covered by the New York Times um, and on the Daily Podcast, so uh, the founder, Katie Paris, talked about she had previously worked in the D.C. area, then she moved to Ohio, and that's where they got started. And, you know, it's, it's women coming together. They still have a tremendous amount of engagement after the 2020 election. So they were thinking, where could we take this next? What could we do next? And they had really had some grassroots, just women getting together and discussing issues. And our podcast is kind of a continuation of that, of discussing the issues that affect suburban women. Um, our first episode, we talked with Katie and she kind of you know, explained why this podcast is happening. Also her work with Red, Wine and Blue. And I uh, had a little chat with Heather Cox Richardson, who is amazing, a historian to give us, um, that was kind of a a thrill, so much so that my husband was jealous and he popped <laughs> into the room after I was over and we couldn't get them to stop talking to each other after a while, but um, it was it was great. She gave us, you know, kind of a, a historical, uh, you know, overview of this moment in our country, which I think can be, you know, hopeful. Um, we, we faced hard times before uh, and it was just a lovely chat. And then this past week on Wednesday, it was our second episode. We spoke with Jamie Jara, who is the mom of her trans daughter, Dempsey. They live in Florida. And it was, you know, that's not something that I have experience with. I don't have any personal experience um, with having a trans child or even at our school. I think there is a one, I know there is one trans child in our synagogue, but um, it's really not an issue. And um, so it was, it was just lovely to hear her experience, to hear her advocacy for her child and her experience as a mom. And I think, you know, these are the conversations we can demystify some of this stuff when we just listen to each other and talk and have a civil conversation, no fear mongering, no creating a problem where there isn't one, just talking. And then after that, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, co-host um, Jasmine Clark spoke with Justin Buttigieg, which was a lovely conversation. And my daughter wants to have the Buttigieg's over for dinner because uh, Chastin likes wine and so do I. And you know, what, what other, yeah, I mean, she, she sees this as a very logical uh, turn <laughs> of events that this is obviously the next thing that should happen. Um, we are prepared to host the Buttigieg's should they have some time off to, you know, travel out to the suburbs of Northern Virginia, and I might make this dessert. Or, I mean, I listened to the interview with Chastin and um, one, have to read his book, two, 
really want to get him on the podcast to bake his favorite desserts. You and absolutely it, should. You know, heck, I like wine too. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, <laughs> and I think that was one of the things I think that Katie Paris, the founder of Red, White and Blue said was that like all these conversations were happening with like a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. And um, it's sort of like, I think mellowed the room and you, this idea of divisiveness that our America is like, uh, America was extraordinarily divided and it turns out it still is not something that just goes away overnight. So the ability to have rational conversation is lovely. And especially with the singular focus of, I'm gonna say it's a unique demographic, the suburban woman, um, often a mom, not necessarily a mom, but there's, it's just, you know, we shouldn't be ignored. And and even if Lindsey Graham says that he is um, paying attention to us, I'm not so sure that's true. I don't think he knows how. Uh, That's that's something that I'm kind of realizing is a lot of the elected officials, the men, particularly white men, and I'm married to a white man, so I don't mean to bash um, anyone. But the truth is, you know, they've been pretty insulated from these burdens and problems that women have carried for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's something they don't really know how to reach us and what are the solutions because they just don't understand the problem. Right. And I think we saw in this like last election, like the pressure on like African-American urban and suburban women to like carry it all. Like, could you lead the way for us? You know, and these typically white men in power have, to your point, no experience or understanding of what, but really these women who've been leading the way have gone through. It's really quite remarkable. And that's why I hope that we're, I don't know, you know, that's why I'm grateful for a podcast like yours. Um, I guess you said, um, you, you talked about going out into the world. And I know you talked about this on my last podcast too, but like going out and seeing the world taught you the very straightforward lesson that moms everywhere teach their kids, right? About differences. And that is I mean, we're more alike than we are different. We should co- find the commonplace, you know, and, and after, again, the day after I talked to you, I had this conversation and that's one of the things that I said, cause I just said it to you and I felt so strongly about it. I mean, I, I articulated it to you and it was kind of, I guess, in, in my mind, but it's really true when you find the commonality and you can find something that you can agree on. For instance, I just had an hour long conversation with a friend which is why it was perhaps a little bit late assembling uh, my brownie part. (laughs) But, you know, she is a dear friend. We have very different backgrounds. Um, She's a neighbor. She's very religious Catholic. And she's also a military spouse. So we have that in common as well. And if we didn't live next to each other, I don't know that we would ever really be friends, um, that we would have found each other. But this is the circumstance. This is where we are together in our community. Mm -hmm. Our daughters are dear friends. And we find a way to discuss things and respect each other's views. And I would say that we have, in some ways, um, 
you know, come, we still talk about things. We still discuss them. I like that we can still do that even when we might think the solutions are different. But I'll tell you, even today, we talked about the minimum wage. We talked about why people are choosing not to work. And, you know, there are multi, there are different sides to that. I see, you know, some of what she might say, and she sees what I see. Both of us are pretty middle of the road, but, you know, we both agree that people should be paid more. And maybe that's why, you know, if you start there, that people Mm -hmm. don't want to kill themselves. I mean, she paid her way through law school by being a bartender and it was hard, hard work. She's also went to school in a different time like I did when things were just less expensive, um, which you know she also recognizes. So I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but all that's to say, if you just find those places where you have something in common with people and you sort of, you know, the whole connect with them on a human level, you can listen and you don't always have to be, you know, at a 10 being defensive, defending your views. I completely agree. It's really so much more about listening. And um, it's also, what you're saying is also a fantastic segue about there being no differences and just coming to a common ground um, to just move on to the next step with these brownies because (laughs) we are taking two disparate things, cheesecake and brownie. And we're putting them together, okay? Because they are two great things on their own. Absolutely. Together, what do we know? Better. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, oh, wow. wow, this was a this is a great choice. I don't know if you planned this, but oh my um, gosh, it's it just it just it just happens naturally for me. <laughs> that kind of genius. Um, but I, I just want people to know to ho- at home to know that right now I am dolloping gigantic creamy spoonfuls of cheesecake batter, which is really all it is. And cheesecake batter also is the easiest thing. It's cream cheese, um, egg, sugar vanilla what you know and ta-da what do you have magic Uh, magic (laughs) and um I'm just dolloping it on top and then the real fun part happens where I get to make swirlies in my food um and then put more chocolate chips on top although I really did want to try putting um either raspberry jam or fresh raspberries in them I thought about it but I'm going to serve it on the side oh beautiful that's another thing as my family is a a little bit purist when it comes to their berries. They're a little high maintenance when it comes to food. I think I have created this this scenario. So I think you've allowed one it. person to blame. Yes, yes, that's basically what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It's really nice that I think also that's a mom thing that suddenly you started <laughs> blaming yourself. And I think they were made that way, and it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. For... And in, and in an effort, and you know, as the politician in the household, like trying to bring peace keep peace you were just obliging them you were listening (laughs) and let that be a lesson and that's why suburban women need to have a greater voice in things Um, we could solve the world I mean the truth is you know we really I think have a lot of very useful skills for (laughs) navigating um you know so so many uh, complex issues because we've learned how to maybe not give in, but make a toddler think that they're winning. Um, sometimes that's important just to stay To that safe. point, having gone from like being in meetings in a, you know, in a fancy, not a boardroom, I'm creative, but being in meetings at work 
as a single person, getting married, having kids, and going back into that situation, mm -hmm. I realized that the skills that I have, that I gained from talking to toddlers, which is your point, make me much more successful in negotiating. And also it, it just, if we handle more people, like we handle more people in these situations, like we do toddlers and I hate to give it away guys, you know, but um, guys and gals, um, we would be much more successful. These are skills that everyone should have. It's true. I, it's made me much better at doing these, that sort of work. Um, this idea, like, you know, I, I also like talk about cheap ass segues. You're, you're talking about like your, your family is being very needy and, and, and whether or not it's a problem you created or not. One of the things that plagues us in our country right now is I feel, and you talked about this in your podcast, politicians um, like trying to solve problems that truly don't exist. Mm -hmm. And the issue, um, and then like, they solve this problem that they created to look like heroes and ignore what the real needs of our people are. And yeah. that really came to light for me when you were talking to the mother of um, the, the transgender daughter with the transgender mm -hmm. daughter. Yeah, I, and I, I quoted something refer or referenced Stephanie Rule a couple of weeks ago spoke with uh, the, the governor rather of West Virginia, who during their state legislator, um, legislature session passed a law um, banning biological males from competing in female sports. Um, I'm not going to debate that. What, what I will uh, weigh in on is that what she pointed out is this is not a problem that they have. It, it, this problem does not exist, but this is the fear mongering. This is the place where people have been told your heritage is being taken away. Your rights are being taken away. Are, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Fill in the blank with nonsensical, un, uh, you know, ambiguous, uh, just undefinable, really, um, you know, problem, air quote, problem here. <laughs> right. And that, that's, that's what they're doing, but it's easier to solve big problems. So I, you know, there was a, a big uh, kerfuffle over a recruiting video that the U.S. Army made that's basically saying, oh, guess what? Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a video about a woman who, uh, a soldier, and she has her mother, two mothers, um, she grew up in California. And then all of a sudden, our good friends in Russia made a nice juxtaposition TikTok, it all goes back to TikTok, a TikTok of uh, a Russian army recruiting video that's very, you know, we're tough and masculine and juxtaposing it against this U.S. Army video that, hey, we're inclusive. We have all kinds of different people. And there might be a space for you in this space. So don't, don't count yourself out. You could be in the U.S. Army too. It's a beautiful uh, recruiting video. And I would say, like all kinds of advertisements, it's certainly not for everyone. Because in the U.S. Army, they still have the people who do the 500 setups or whatever it is. And 
you know, we have that segment. We also have people who fight wars at a computer. And I guess, you know, if people can remember all the way back to, uh, was it last week? Oh yes, it was <laughs> when the colonial pipeline was hacked. That's how wars are fought these days as well. And so we need people who, can, who are smart, who can use their intellect, who can find a way to counter these um, attacks and these assaults on our country which is a very real thing, just because you don't see it every day. The fact that you don't see it every day is because people are fighting it and keeping it from happening. So yeah, we need people to jump out of planes and kick down doors and we need the world to know that we still have those people and we do have a capable force that's second to none, but that's not where all battles are fought. And you know, in the end, this uh, video was retweeted many times by even by uh, senators such as Ted Cruz. And at the end of the day, this video is Russian propaganda. They are falling for Russian propaganda. Wouldn't and be the first time, however. <laughs> no, it's kind of a trend, um, <laughs> a disturbing one. But, but you know, I honestly believe that Senator Cruz is not stupid. He, he knows what it is, but he also knows that he, this is what his supporters want. And again, this is not it a must problem. must be those elite liberal institutions that he attended. <laughs> yes, yes. I think, I think that's what it was, um, Harvard. Um, but he, he knows this is the appetite. This, this is what his audience has an appetite for, and he is serving it to them. And again, it is not solving any kind of problem. It's just creating like flashy glittery things to stare at and look at and we see this all over the world I just never thought that we would see it here in our country because it's a tactic that's used by so many people when they start getting in trouble domestically oh look there's a shiny thing over there and I'm the only person that can save you from this so um, let me create a fake war and a conflict, mm -hmm. and then I will save you, and then you have to keep me as your leader. And we've had some pretty good examples of that just in the past month, unfortunately. Yeah. But we do it too now. We do it too. And I think we really need to stop and think. And this is where I think suburban moms don't fall for it. They just don't. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you know, whenever my daughter comes home from school and I'm like, so how was your test? And she starts telling me what they had for lunch that day. That's a problem. You know, that's probably <laughs> a, kind of a red flag. And I want to hear about what happened at lunch and what she ate, but I, I still want to hear about the test because it's still important to me. So this is, I think the kind of thing that we're like, we're not falling for it. Like, Don't, you know, as judge Judy says, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. Like we just, we know. It's does my she favorite really saying. say that? She does. It's my favorite saying. But you cannot distract from reality. And I think that's something that suburban women have just lived for so long. So, you know, President Trump often said the suburbs, you know, are awful. They're dying. They're whatever I think disappearing they've even said which I live yeah. in one and I know you do and it's still here so I don't know mm -hmm. what to what's going on where they're disappearing but he he had a view of the suburbs that simply doesn't exist anymore you know and it's in my county uh, of suburbs it's majority minority and this is a common thing it's a good thing but what it's doing is it's causing us 
I grew up in a suburb that was very homogenous, but now I have experience with all different people from different ethnic groups and backgrounds and immigrants. And, you know, any scare tactics are not going to work that people tell me because my experience is different. And that's, that's where, you know, lives are changed. People aren't changed by statistics. People aren't changed by facts. People are changed by experiences and ideas and what they go through. And the co-hosts of your show all come from different backgrounds too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. They're fabulous. So it's not just, it's not just like, I mean, that's of course not true for my little bubble here in Montclair, New Jersey, but um, <laughs> I live in a bubble and your, your podcast co-hosts are not in the same bubble, correct? Correct. So Jasmine, who I, who um, talked to Chastin Buttigieg, Jasmine has her PhD in molecular biology. She's a lecturer um, and she's also a state uh, representative and she flipped her seat from Republican to Democrat in um, suburban Atlanta in 2018. She is the first black woman to represent her district. And so she's very busy. She's um, you know, gracefully added the Suburban Women podcast to her role of many <laughs> hats that she wears, uh, for which we are very grateful. And Amanda Weinstein is the uh, is the is an economist. She is a veteran, a U.S. Air Force gra- veteran, and uh, a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy. I'm really like outmanned here um, with with um, <laughs> Amanda and Jasmine, and uh, her husband is a also a veteran. Uh, in the Air Force, and he is a state legislator in Ohio. So they, um, I think, you know, the economist piece, the the state legislator piece, um, you know, they both bring very unique experiences to the podcast in addition to, you know, being suburban women themselves. But we're really going to delve into some of these economic issues that, you know, that affect women and kind of understand it, you know, what's the history of welfare? Why uh, we, we, are, we don't know that. And mm-hmm. in fact, I learned this from Amanda. Mm-hmm. It was started to help women be able to stay home. Um, that was the, the, and raise their families so that they would have a little something if their husbands didn't make enough, but they could stay home and, um, and still provide. So that was the initial idea. And now and think of how it's a dirty word. Yes, it women is. <laughs> taking welfare just to stay home. Yes, yes, they're lazy. Um, lazy. These are the words that have been ascribed, and um, and you know, we hear it now. We we're hearing those that same terminology for people who um, don't want to go to work. They don't want to go to work after you know receiving the COVID unemployment. But I also think they're realizing, hmm, if I don't work, I don't have childcare expenses. I don't have maybe clothing expenses. I don't have commuting expenses. And it might not be as much money, but those all those things cost money as well. So if you're going to get a very low paying job, a minimum wage job, and you really work out the math, I can't blame someone for, uh, for making that choice and we need to give people better choices that's that's the issue is providing that and all you know just we're, we're also going to tackle how COVID has brought to light so many of you know that these things disproportionately affect women we've known it but there was no hiding it during um you know the height of the COVID quarantines I I can't tell you how many times I was in a sense uh, 
able to do things that I wouldn't normally, wasn't normally able to do because, and I mean my achievements, like get work done um, <laughs> because my husband was also working from home. And that meant that, oh, he had a break in his schedule, which meant that he could do the run that took the kid to wherever mm -hmm. the kid needed to go. And I could stay focused on my work. So that's gonna be a hard thing to give up if, if he goes back to the office. And I'm very grateful, Mark, if you're listening, that you are that kind of person who does that, right? Um, Same, I'm, you know, my, my husband lost his job. Maybe you guys heard right before I'm so sorry. <laughs> the pandemic started. So he was still in the army, but had a, a different kind of job. And I remember before, so it was happening in early February and he was kind of like, you know, a day in the life of a suburban mom. And he was more than once commented, you're doing stuff all day, but it seems like you never really get anything done. I was like, yeah, that's, Thank you. Nailed it. So that, um, that's in a nutshell. Yes. Right? I mean, you know, cause you don't, it's not like you're sitting in your office, you're taking, I'm going to go to this meeting. I'm going to write this email. I'm going to do this. It doesn't work that way. So you're trying to do all, you know, all kinds of different things and he got it. And of course now he's home more and like, like you, um, you know, he can handle some things with very detailed instructions. I'm just gonna have that asterisk. I love him and he is an intelligent, smart guy. He's not someone who's so smart that he can't do regular things. He can absolutely do regular things, but I think he maybe listens to me like 20%. So when he goes to pick up our daughter in the car rider line, he's like, he, the first time he did it, he literally got out of his car and went and asked the person in front of him how it worked. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like, what did they say to you? That's what yeah. I really want to know. Because you recorded that, because that would have been amazing. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's a reasonable question if you've not done it before. If you've never done it and your daughter's in fourth grade, sure. Like, also, have you ever seen TV? Because I feel like they kind of even... I think there were some really strong scenes like about with that. I, I mean, I remember the shows. Um, that's just magnificent and it's but it's true to go back to the issue that um COVID has brought to light um yeah definitely a, a lot of real life situations that um we've been able to deal with better because of co because we've been all at home if, and if you're lucky enough to have been in our situation um I guess one of my questions is you know I know that Lindsey Graham said the Republican Party has a suburban women problem and, you know, you could really hear that in a couple different contexts, you know, like they're a problem, like we have a problem, we're not dealing with them. And then, no, sometimes I feel like people think of this suburban women as a problem. <laughs> and um, I, I, there was a part of me that thought, well, you know, you got that old crock in the White House who grew up with the idea of like 1950s suburban housewives. And the image, by the way, for your podcast of a woman single-handedly <laughs> lifting the, um, the sofa it's and great. vacuuming underneath it is just genius. Unfortunately, these ideas of women and how they work in the home still exist, probably because a lot of it still exists. And I had this thought that maybe when some of these um, older politicians pass on to the great Congress in the sky, um, that things might change. 
and you do see a new world of person coming in. You know, we have Kamala Harris and we have the Buddha judges of this world who are going to make change. But then I also like look on the other side and I see Marco Rubio and Matt Gates and whatever, you know, and even if they're in jail, um, there are people like them. Oh, God willing. Um, there are people like them um, out there sustaining these notions of women. Yeah, sure. I just think they're not going to be able to sustain it for a long time. Um, I think that it, that those days are coming to an end because uh, there's, <clears throat> again, people's experiences are, are just different and they can't maintain this. And I think in a lot of ways, it comes down to economics. You can stave it off as long as you want, mm -hmm. but people's real experience um, Sorry, I don't mean to keep taking this back to the military, but one of the things that I um, have been a part of is you know, like opportunities for military spouses. So I have some experience in this. And there's even a divide among, you know, maybe my husband, who I guess if he were still in, he would be uh, a full bird colonel. And then, but whenever he was a young captain and there were wives that wives of lieutenants, and we used to do this very antiquated um, thing of a a, um, a coffee every month. Um, it was like a an evening thing, I guess, because we maybe graduated having lives, so we didn't do it in the middle of the day. We did it in the <laughs> evening, and so the officers' wives' coffee. It was a real thing, and um, the younger wives had just a very different outlook and experience. And this is where it is. I think. I used to wonder why they're only maybe five or six years younger than me. But the reason I think a lot of it is, you know, officers are required to have at least a bachelor's degree. Um, we know that people generally marry someone who has the same education level as them. I mean, you know, generally, not always. But now... Sometimes they have they, a higher education Absolutely. Degree. Yes, precisely. <laughs> so um, it's those that experience is a lot more expensive. So if you graduate with student loans and you know you, it, it's going to be difficult. So I think, it, I wonder for a long time and then it kind of hit me, I realized they have to work because they have to pay off their student debt. Mm. And you know, some of it is because they want to, which you know, I, I fully support also. They just wanna have a, a life and a career, an opportunity, which is really different to, difficult to establish when you're moving around every two or three years, by the way. So some people like me just kind of give up because it, it becomes, you know, very difficult. We've had a lot of overseas um, assignments, but some people, I mean, they're looking for anything. They're working at the commissary or, you know, the PX, especially in overseas, like wherever they can get a job because they just need to have some kind of income to pay back those loans. So all that's to say, I think, you know, the suburbs are really changing. Being able to live on one income is, is just a really difficult thing to do, no matter where you are mm -hmm. um, in, in the United States. And that, that experience alone, um, whether it's a financial need or just a personal desire is something that there, is becoming, I hate to say that it's more and more acceptable, but I mean, the truth is it is. So, right. And as a matter of reality or, you know, just like, okay, I guess women are gonna work even women with small children. So we have to address the issue of childcare, of the cost of childcare. 
mm-hmm. um, of, you know, of maternity leave. These things are really important to women and no party is going to be successful with suburban women unless they authentically listen to them. You cannot solve a problem by what you think people want. You need to listen to what they want and incorporate their ideas because they know best how to solve it. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you, but I hate the fact that it feels a little dreamy. And I hope yeah. that the, the next pop, that you know, we have a new generation who are actually starting to listen um, and not create boogie monsters, which yeah. is what we've had, right? When I was little, my brother, Paul would, I love you, Paul. I know you're listening and that's why I love you. But before I'd go to bed, he would open my closet door, which I insisted upon being closed to say, um, and then leave the room because he knew it scared the daylights out of me because I thought there was a boogeyman in there, you know, some terrible, scary thing. And um, I think our politicians, as we've said, do a really good job of trying to scare us. And you see that in the second amendment bill, right? Um, I, I was just down in Texas. I love traveling. I missed it so much. And on the outside of a very famous bakery, a bakery, beautiful bakery that sells is world famous for its fruitcakes, which are costly, but still um, they have a big sign on the door that says, um, we respect your second amendment rights. If you have um, a legal firearm, please feel free to bring it inside. We um, honor the constitution. And I thought to myself, that's that's a problem that doesn't exist. No one is gonna need the likelihood of you needing your gun to defend yourself from getting the last pineapple Corsican of fruitcake is really very little. And the likelihood of someone breaking into that bakery where most of the people are like, you know, in their seventies, right? You know, hanging around, sipping a cup of sweet tea and a slice of, having a slice of cake is really, that's really not a problem, but it's been, I mean, one, people are worried enough to have to carry a gun. And two, they've been told their guns are being taken away. Mm-hmm. And I waited on my front steps for Barack Obama to come and take my <laughs> guns away personally. And I got to tell you, it got cold in the winter. It was a long time waiting and he never showed Eight up. Years. And I just want, yeah, I, I mean, I have the frostbite to prove it and he never showed up and it's sad. It, it seems- very powerful and worked. I mean, <laughs> but, but absolutely it was powerful and it worked. And I see in the last couple of weeks, uh, hours, days that the Republicans are still doing this sort of look over here Mm -hmm. and we're not, and we're looking over there. They are allowing us to think that tourists had a lovely time and stayed between the velvet ropes as they walk, I wish you could see Rachel's face right now. <laughs> Out there in podcast land, she shook her head in a very disappointed way as a mom does. Um, as you know, those lovely tourists on January 6th who walked through the velvet ropes, like ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I don't know, did your class do a tour of um, the Capitol when you were in high school? No, unfortunately. Um, maybe like, the, you know, I know that um, uh, uh, students who have, I know uh, we, we, I went to see the Lincoln Memorial and stuff. We were very, uh, we were a lot like 
character. No, we weren't. We were extraordinarily <laughs> polite because we would have gotten sent right back to New Jersey if we hadn't been. Uh, I, you know, it's it's so insulting. I, I often say this on Twitter. I hate it when they just act like we're stupid, like we're all stupid. I mean, if you want to have like this cognitive dissonance and just not believe it, what you're seeing, because it's easier for you to reconcile your beliefs with, yeah. um, you know, what you want to be true. Okay, fine, whatever. I, I mean, but just don't lie to me. Don't treat me as if I'm a moron. And that's the part that I find so objectionable. Just don't lie in the process and insult me, um, insult our intelligence. It, and I don't think their followers this realize, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I don't think no. their followers realize that they're being treated like morons. And that's one of the things that always really bothered me about the whole, uh, you know, that man, um, Donald Trump affair, um, that he was, he's, they're using you. If they say to you that this was just like tourists coming through and then you see a picture of whoever the representative from Georgia was where he is like pushing against yes, the door, yes. like some massive piece of furniture. It was the role against- play part of the, uh, it was like the, you know, the role play part of the tour where yeah. they do kind of a historical reenactment of never uh, because the <laughs> Capitol has actually never been sieged. But I mean, what would happen, I guess, if there was a siege on the Capitol? Uh, yeah. but it is very exciting for those yeah. tourists, I think. <laughs> I think so. And, you know, even like after January 6th, Senator Cornyn of Texas, as you mm-hmm. previously mentioned, um, he said, uh, you know, he supported the idea of a, a commission to discuss, you know, to, to investigate January 6th. And now he doesn't. So what, <laughs> what changed, you know, he, he, he said exactly what it is, but then it's like, but Nancy Pelosi, I mean, if she can really do all the things that they accuse her of, then she should not be speaker of the house. She should be doing something else because um, I think she could have solved a lot of problems if she's really that powerful. Like queen of the universe or something. Yeah, basically. Um, indeed. So it's such an affront to, um, you know, to our intelligence. And I wish people would just say, okay, I believe this because it's what I wanted to, I want to believe. This is what I want to be true. And that's why I, I accept it. But of course I know um, it's not. I'm just saying, I don't want a January 6th commission. Just say it. Um, right. But, but don't, don't try to sell it as something else. And you don't have to say the whole sentence like Kevin McCarthy should, which is, I don't want a January 6th commission because you're going to find out that I was really in the wrong through all this. Um, you know, you don't have to finish the sentence, but you can just say, I don't want a January 6th commission because that's what as um, moms, we would teach our children mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. do. You know, that sort of misleading is okay because you're coming clean. So and I, you know, I, again, I really think this is where suburban women are, uh, women in general, actually, what urban, suburban, and where you are. Yeah. I mean, moms understand this of, you know, maybe you just really don't want to do something, but let's just be honest about it. I mean, there's no reason to make up excuses or lies and that will never serve you well then you have to keep track of the lies and you have to keep track of everything you've said. So if you don't want to do something, just simply don't do it, but be, you know, don't hurt anyone's feelings. And I don't think there's anyone's feelings being hurt in this situation, but you know, 
don't lie to spare someone because then it's kind of worse in the end. And I, I have some, you know, anecdotal experience that of, of people I know and friends of friends who have, particularly after January 6th, you know, had a change of heart. They even use the words, you know, I don't think things are the way that I thought they were. And that actually, yeah, that those exact words were spoken to a friend of mine in Texas. And, uh, <laughs> and she, she had, she's a great, lovely person. And she had a great response of, it's okay when you have different information to change your mind. And in our podcast, that's something we want to be a place, a safe space. We say that a safe place to change your mind. Mm-hmm. If you hear new information, it's okay to change your outlook or your stance on things. People do it all the time. And that's all right. That's just part of, part of having, you know, it's part of growth. It's part of maturity. Um, and it's part of being a human being um, that's, that's growing and changing. If you can, uh, you know, take the information as you receive it and your ideas can evolve. You know, I was going to ask you really what your mission was as you set out to create this podcast, but I think you just perfectly summed it up. <laughs> so thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think, you know, we, some people have asked me, do I think this will make a difference? I think it's going to, make a difference because we're discussing issues that impact women where other people aren't. And there's power in that space. Like, as I said before, when you can talk and you can have a conversation and you can share with someone in a civil way, there is power in that. So there's no need to be Laura Ingram or Tucker Carlson and just, again, be at a 10 all the time about everything because not everything deserves that. And we all need to have a space in our life for fun and joy and life and to live live life and experience it. So I just want people to take a step back and connect again and just find that place because we used to have it and we can have it again. Even for the people out there who really have been off in their own little cloister of like, we all think the same thing, right? Whether, you know, there are people, you know, there are bubbles in the world. It's really important for people to, especially for women, to be able to get this information, be able to see all the points of view. You know, a long time ago, I helped launch a television network called Oxygen. And the yeah. idea was that it was a television network for women. It's now a television network about um, crime dramas. But Okay. It always devolves into that. (laughs) Whatever. But, you know, it was important. The idea behind that network was so good, which was we were going to create a place for women just to share their thoughts and ideas and like even news Mm -hmm. with that spin to it. And I didn't, I've come much more around to that idea that it's very important for um, it's where the change is going to happen, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, you, you talked about the joy and unfortunately we, we do have to wrap up. So there is, um, joy to, in our future one in that 30 minutes from now, these will be, yeah. 
Not that the raw anything. stuff ain't good on its own because <laughs> it is. Um, I don't care what, how raw the eggs are in this. You shouldn't eat raw eggs. You shouldn't eat raw flour apparently too because it's possible salmonella. But this will be a, a, a joy in 30 minutes. You are a joy always to talk to and I thank you. But you end your podcasts with a toast to joy. Yeah. And what, what is that about? Just whatever we're thankful and grateful for to finding that joy in every day. I can be very usually. Yeah, it absolutely can. Um, I think particularly after the past year, uh, we need, we learned to find the joy in small things, much smaller. And even in the midst of horrible circumstances, there was joy every day. So I think it's a matter of, you know, just recognizing that and voicing it, you know, it's kind of like a, a gratitude journal of sorts, but taking a moment, take a breath and say, what wonderful thing in your week that you find to be joyful for. And I think there's a lot of them, you know, again, as we emerge from this, but as our lives get busier and we kind of get back to normal, it's still important that we remember to find joy in the small things as well. Absolutely. Well, you're a bit, you're um, a, a joy in my week and I appreciate that very, very much. Thank and, you, Marissa. Um, this was lit- amazing. Thank you so much. And I hope everybody enjoys the brownie. Thank you for joining me and Rachel Zinman today. You can find my recipes on my website, marissarothkopf.com. Please do a gal a favor and uh, follow me maybe on Twitter and like me, like me, like me. Whenever you um, get your podcast, you can just subscribe. These reviews really help a gal. So stay safe, eat cookies, and wash your hands.